Solomon chapter 1. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, if you weren't with us last week, that was the introduction and the history behind the Song of Solomon, where it is, how it applies to today as well as back then in church history. And again, if you weren't with us on Sunday as we started in the book of Hosea, I encourage you to Check those out on our social media tonight, Song of Solomon, chapters 1 and 2. Let's dive into it. Let's read chapter 1. We'll come back. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let me kiss, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. And because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Now draw me away, and we will run after you. For the king has brought me into his chamber, and we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine, and rightly do they love you. Now I am dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, and like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, and because the sun has tanned me, and my mother's son were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O you whom I love, where do you feed your flocks, and where uh, where you make it rest at noon? For why should I be the one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions. And if you do not know, O fairest among the women, follow the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. For I have compared you, my love, (laughs) to my filly, that's a horse, among the Pharaoh's chariots. For your cheeks are lovely with ornaments and your necks with chains of gold, And we will make your ornaments of gold with the studs of silver. And while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. And a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. For my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. And you have dove's eyes. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved, yes, pleasant. Also, your bed is green, and the beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time together, and we do, Lord, thank you for those serving in youth ministry, Lord, and children's ministry, that you'd bless them. And Father, that you would bless our heart tonight, Lord, even uh, with topics that are difficult to Um, share and Lord um, to glean from and so Lord that we would heed your word because it is your word so we thank you Lord for our now our night now Lord and bless our time in Jesus name amen so just as a brief reminder uh, uh, song of Solomon describing uh, these two young people Solomon probably Early on, it is very possible that she is his first wife. 
Won't be the last, will it? Sadly, right? But it is possible that this is his first bride. Uh, Don't know that for sure. But you can see the youth in here. You can see the young in here. You're going to see in the next chapter, right, uh, the, the dancing of the stags and of, of the fillies and all of these terms of endearment that they use. But we need to remember the three people primarily in this play, in this drama, this poem in, in Song of Solomon. So we have the Shulamite. Uh, she is, as we saw last week, Mrs. Solomon, because they are married. This is not uh, something of uh, a relation outside of marriage. They are. We have Solomon, and then we have the daughters of Jerusalem, who we will hear tonight uh, chime in from time to time. And as a reminder, because of Jewish poetry, it does not go into chronological order. Everybody remember that from last week? Uh, that can be very frustrating because we will read, we, we won't get into it yet, but we're going to talk about uh, their relationship, even their sexual relationship, and then we're going to see the wedding. And if you're, you could be confused by that, well, we're just going back and forward. So we're flashing back and forward in their relationship, and that is very common in Jewish poetry. We're American. We don't think that way. We think in a chronological Greek way of thinking, uh, and they just don't care (laughs) how we interpret it or think about it. Uh, That's how they do it. Remember, we talked about that the Jewish rabbis taught that you were not allowed to study this book unless you were 30 because of the steamy nature inside of it. And yes, uh, we will take it literally as we go through. Uh, there is a lot to unpack here. We will we'll try not to get bogged down. There will be areas we will focus more on. Uh, we will have fun with it. Please laugh. It helps me. <laughs> uh, and so remember, you don't have to teach it. You just have to watch a guy in a Hawaiian do it. So the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, Verse 2 says, now let me kiss, uh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So right out of the gate, uh, it starts out. Now, uh, she says that Solomon's love is like wine. And the, again, wine in the, uh, in the Bible is a sign of joy, uh, a sign of celebration, But I need you to take note of this. Like in the New Testament where we have four Greek words to describe love, so too in the Old Testament we have three words to describe love. And as you go through, you can, uh, if you've got a nice little program like I do that can pull up the Hebrew, it'll tell you the number right next to it. Uh, You'll be able to know which, which word they're using. So the three words for Hebrew love are Rhea, which is a refers to a, a companionship, and then Ahaba, which refers. It sounds very Jewish, does it? Ahaba, which refers to sacrificial royal commitment, and then Dod. Sound Dod. This r- rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? This refers to sexual love or, more specifically, love making. And so in this verse, it is interesting that you take note in verse 2, she says, for your love, that word, Dodd. 
So her mind is right towards the physical and the intimate, and we'll unpack that as we go. Again, in the Hebrew culture, joyful banquets and celebrations were often referred to uh, as wine, and it was a type and picture for them. So Solomon's extravagant love for his young bride, uh, she looks at it with joy, and uh, she, she thinks of it as a, a lavish celebration. Um, notice in verse 3, and we're going to uh, notice it says fragrance. We're going to talk a lot about fragrance. <laughs> Anybody know why they had a lot of fragrance and ointments and perfumes? No showers, people. <laughs> Amen. So you got a lot of stinky people in the Middle East especially in biblical time, and, um, you know, if you want to be intimate, uh, I'm just going to give this free, shower up. So, but back then, they didn't have that, right? Uh, they didn't have the ability like we do, and so you'll see a lot of this, he smells like this, she smells like this, and that, uh, and remember, the senses, right, the, the smell, just it, it all comes flooding out, and verse 3 says, because of your fragrance, of your good ointments. And then she says, for your name is an ointment poured forth. Notice, therefore, the virgins love you or that you are sought after. And so she expresses respect and esteem uh, for him, but also for his character and reputation. Uh, the name represents much more than just a title by which the beloved was addressed. Uh, it represents, again, his character, and, and character is important. Uh, someone once said, this shows us that a wise woman chooses a man whom others see to be a man of character. There is something not quite right, they say, if she thinks she can see what is a what a ama uh, what an amazing kind of guy he is, but no one else can. It, have you seen that before? Like they're the only one. Like, am I missing something? Yes, and we're gonna get to the lovesick portion in a little while. That portion where, uh, well, we'll get to it. So if others can't see that character, maybe then. You should slow down. And so she recognizes the character of Solomon. Let's keep going. Verse three or 4, she says, draw me away <clears throat> and we will run after you. For the king has brought me into his chamber and we will be glad and rejoice in you. And we will remember your love more than wine. Yes, notice, rightly do they love you. So the idea is that she is desiring for him to take her into, you can see that in that verse, uh, the bedchamber, his chambers. And I, I read this last week, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves, and let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also your, uh, the interest of others. So as you go through men and women, take note of how they 
uh, talk to one another. And let me just say, I know no, uh, nobody in the room has this perfectly done. Anybody? Raise your hand. Don't do it, Jim. I, I know I could see it, that hand coming up. In a, uh, nobody does this perfect. And not only that is we all need to read it and think, and this is what I don't want to happen. Well, that's never going to happen in my family or my life or my relationship. Don't think that either. Start over. Do it right. Try. So you see this, and he calls her dove eyes. I suggest you change your term of endearment. <laughs> Peanut butter cup eyes. I don't know. Something a little different. Stop calling her a horse, number one. We'll see that. But don't think, well, I'm just this age or that age or this has happened in my relationship and that I don't just go for because that's not a believer at all. A believer is teachable. And he is able to then pivot and notice those areas where he is wrong. Amen? And we all have done that. Um, mm -hmm. Verse 5, let's get to her skin. <laughs> she says, I am dark. But lovely, she says, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar and like the curtains of Solomon. So the self-doubt that she has regarding her own appearance should not be overstated. She did feel in some ways unattractive and unworthy. Note she says, do not look upon me because I am dark. And it, it has nothing to do with actual dark skin. you got to remember the day in which she's living in uh, that uh, she even says it. She's been out in the field. She's been working. And so her skin is not as soft and silky and milky like the princesses in the uh, palace. Yes? So she's a country gal. She's a grit, a girl raised in the South. Why did that take you that long? Thank you, James. Peace out. Love that. So she, she looks at her appearance, and she sees something wrong with it. But at the same time, men, have you, have you seen this dichotomy with your wife? At the same time, she calls herself lovely. I have a problem, but I'm lovely. Well, which is it? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, I want to read to you from a quote from a wife on this. And she said something very interesting. She said, I think most husbands pick up on the insecurities of their wife. Women tend to say something negative about how they look. And this causes our husbands then to focus on the negative. And so she says, I focus on what I like about my body, and this causes my husband to see the positive also. Don't you like that? Good advice, ladies. Again, we need to focus on the positive and praise God that uh, Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have these stickers up in the bathroom at camp, <laughs> so the kids will know that. It's a hard world to live in with the body images and all around and the Instagrams and all of what the world promotes, right? It's a hard world, as we will see as we get into chapter 2 as well. But she says, do not look upon me 
because I am dark, and then she describes it. She says, because the sun has tanned me, and my mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyard. Which means she was outside working um, those days, probably from her young uh, teenage years all the way up until she was married to Solomon. But notice she says, but I have not kept my own vineyard. So she, there's a little bit re of reg regret. She's like, well, it's not my fault uh, if I had just had some oil of Olay <laughs> or whatever is used today. <laughs> she says, tell me, O you whom I love, now notice again, verse 7, she's longing for him. She says, where do you feed your flock and where you make it rest at noon? For why should I be the one who veils herself by the flocks of your companion? So in verse 7, she wants to come and, uh, and we will see this multiple times, have a rendezvous with him. And so she's trying to locate where he is. Verse 8. And now, to, now he responds, Now if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. You know, sometimes when you read uh, portions of the Bible and you just go, what? Remember Ecclesiastes? Like, what are you talking about, Solomon? Again, what are you talking about? But I want to give you uh, an idea of what he is talking about because he is talking about here uh, the, the worth of his bride. And I found this uh, story, and I want to read it to you. It, it's just a wee bit uh, lengthy, but I, I you'll get the picture of it when, when I'm done reading it. Uh, the story is Johnny Lingo, and any story that has the name Johnny Lingo, you got to go in. And you go, what is with this guy? Johnny Lingo and his eight-cow wife. Are you ready? The story is told of a man named Johnny Lingo who lived on an island in the South Pacific. Johnny was a wealthy trader respected for his ability to strike a hard bargain except when it came to securing a wife. In these islands, a man bought his wife from her father by paying from one to six cows. Ladies, take note. Hmm. Two or three cows would buy a fair to a middle wife, four to five, a breathtaking beauty. Now, Johnny wanted to marry Sarata, a plain woman who lived on, the, uh, on a different island, and was scared of her own shadow. For her, Johnny offered the unheard of sum of eight cows. Now the residents of the island smirked that such a successful businessman would pay such an outrageous price for such a plain woman. They figured he was a sucker when it came to love. Now, a woman decided to find out more about Johnny and his wife, and so she sailed to the nearby island where Johnny lived and called on his home. And when she met his wife, she was amazed to find the most beautiful woman she had ever seen. When she inquired about what had happened, Johnny explained 
Do you ever think what it must mean to a woman to know that her husband had settled for the lowest price for which she can be bought? And then later when the women talk around the village, they boast of what their husbands paid for them. One said four cows, another maybe six. How does she feel? I'm sorry, how does she feel the woman who was sold for one or two then? How could this happen to my wife, he says. Then (laughs) she says, then you did this to make your wife happy? Oh, sure, I wanted her to be happy, yes. But I wanted more than that. You say she is different. This is true. Many things can change a woman, but the thing that matters the most is what she thinks of herself and her own self-worth. So on these islands, she believed that she was worth nothing. But she knows she is worth more than any other woman in the islands. She is an eight-cow wife. You see, in this song, she feels insecure. Is that not what we see from her again? And that her body and... (laughs) Uh, She feels insecure about her body, and God uses her husband to praise her fears away. But the truth is that in the course of marriage, both husband and wife will face insecurity issues about their bodies. God desires our spouses to cheer us on and help us embrace his view of our own bodies rather than the world's view and encourage us to maintain strong and healthy bodies so we can serve the Lord for many years. And then I re-add, ladies, be careful how you talk to your husbands then about your own body. Again, as before, that he picks up on the negativity. Be positive. Be an eight-cow wife. Everyone's telling that story tomorrow, I'm telling you. You got to hear about the eight-cow wife. And then he says, he's just piling on the goods. He says, I've compared you to my filly, my horse among the Pharaoh's chariots. Now, uh, again, men, if you were picking a term of endearment for your wife, uh, possibly horse would not be one of them. You see, we laugh at this, but then we don't understand the time of the day. And we don't understand the culture of the day. The culture of the day was different. You see, Solomon assures his bride that to him she was as beautiful as his horses. Believe me, this comparison was music to her ears. You see, at the time in the Near East, horses were not beasts of burdens. They were cherished cherished companions of the king's. So Solomon loved horses. He had uh, Tel uh, Megiddo. Megiddo was one of his uh, stables with all of the horses in it. And so Solomon loved horses, particular Egyptian horses. That's what he says here. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. His mare must have been the most outstanding of all of the horses. And so here he is basically telling her, Well, that she is one in a million, or in his case, one in a thousand. 
as we'll see later. And so it's a term of endearment. He says, I have compared you again, my love, to what he is saying is the choice items. And then he says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments and your neck with chains of gold. So uh, Solomon praises the beauty of his wife here, especially praising her for the way that she does her jewelry and her hair. And remember, if you've never been to the Middle East, those people like gold. I've never seen. They will have a full burqa on, yeah? That's head, everything, covering the arms, and there's bling everywhere. They love the gold. And so he praises her for the ornaments. He says, even in verse four, uh, verse 11, he says, I will make your ornaments of gold with studs of silver. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. And so he does well to make sure that he is smelling good, right? He is uh, allowing that to be uh, fill the room. He continues by saying, of myrrh, a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night uh, between my breasts. So um, uh, she now uh, pipes in on verse 13 and on. And so she talks about her appearance. He compliments her. He talks about her appearance with the gold and silver, and now she comes back and says that my beloved is to me a cluster of henna boom, uh, blooms in the vineyard. No, the I'm sorry, verse 13. A bundle of myrrh it is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. So the re- reference to the female breast uh, made by the, the maiden herself, by uh, Solomon's wife, Um, There is an instinct that often happened in the early church as well as with the Hebrews to think that God must have had something else in mind. Surely this is something spiritual. It cannot mean the actual breast of a woman. I mean, the Jewish scholars have seen (laughs) in the breast brides Moses and Aaron. The two... (laughs) Uh, the, that da, uh, David and Solomon, uh, Ephraim uh, and Manasseh, Moses and Phineas and Joshua and Eliezer, they, they try to make some pel, 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 no, parallel, I'll get it, it'll happen. Is it hot in here? Please turn it down again. Christian interpreters have equally been ingenious. They have seen the bride's uh, breast as the church from which <laughs> we are to feed. The two testaments, the old and the new, the twin precepts of the love of God and the, and uh, our neighbor, the blood and the wine, and on and on. They, they've tried to allegorize this as well. Now, I, I make this statement from last week as well as the statement uh, from Revelation. Remember when we were in Revelation and people were trying to figure out what green grass was? And they're like diving deep for years to figure, it's just grass, man. Maybe sometimes it means what it means. I'm not trying to be coarse, but sometimes breasts just mean breasts. Just like grass means grass in Revelation. So she is inviting her husband to enjoy her breasts that God gave 
her. Continuing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where'd I go? 14. We're not even done. In it. I, is it hot in here? Did I already say that? My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, uh, this is, um, if you don't know Israel and you don't have never been there with us, and again, I encourage you, I just had another email with our travel guide, so it looks like 23 is completely full. We will not be able to go there, but 24, they're looking to get us some prices soon. So w- when we announce that, and when you go to Engedi with us, it is one of the most beautiful places in Israel because you're in the middle of nowhere in the desert. The Dead Sea is there. Then you go up o- over this hill, and there's this creek that runs back there, and then you come out, and water is gushing out of the ground. By the way, that water comes from Jerusalem. By the way, that furthers on the prophecies that we will see that the Dead Sea will uh, later on not be dead. It will be alive. But Engedi was always known as a place of rest. So just the thought of an oasis makes our shoulders relax and our souls sigh. Again, why do people come to Myrtle Beach? I have no idea. (laughs) It's a place of rest, is it not? It is an oasis. If you live up north in Minnesota or Soda or Wisconsin or Michigan, Myrtle Beach is a nice place in the wintertime, is it not? We get a lot of uh, snowbirds that come down and they they hang out for the winter. So in Getty becomes a place of refuge for the couple. Uh, Behold, he says, Uh, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. And again, you have dove's eyes. So she comes in uh, with those two verses. He comes back with, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Um, Again, just a term of endearment. So whatever term of endearment you have, you know, he's using that term. I'm not sure I would use a bird. Uh, But he chose to do that. And then she says, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. So he compliments her. She compliments him. Um, She loves and respects the character of of her beloved, as we saw earlier. And yet she is also attracted to his appearance. This was no doubt because the beloved had made himself handsome, Uh, in his appearance as well. Um, And so she recognizes that, and she says, yes, pleasant. Uh, Verse 17, almost done. Uh, The beams of our houses are cedar, and our rafters are fir. She talks about how uh, her house, and by the way, cedar and fir, those were expensive lumber back then. So she notes how her house uh, and there's another verse that talks about their bedchamber is a place of safety for them to, to go and to have intimacy. Chapter 2. Now, I am the rose of Sharon and the lilies of the valleys. Now, how many of you have heard of the rose of Sharon, right? Right? Do you know it's not a rose? It's a bad translation. It's a bulb. 
That's what the word in Hebrew means. It means a flower out in the field that comes from a bulb. So all those phrases, throw them right out the window. (laughs) I am a bulb of Sharon. The idea is I'm a flower. Again, her view has changed, has it not? She was once dark, and she was insecure about herself. And now um, now that this um, uh, encouragement of appearance has gone back and forth, she, which once was self-conscious and unsure of her appearance and worth, now she says that she is a, and I'll just use it because it's here, the rose of Sharon and the lily of the field. So uh, that has changed. He says, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So the beloved here tells his wife about uh, the confidence that he has in her, but also he is affirming, perhaps she said it with a touch of doubt, and she era- and then he erased any doubt by saying, no, uh, you are a lily among the thorns or all the other women. And he says, you are the choice out of that. And then she says, verse 3, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. And so I, uh, I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So the maiden, Solomon's wife, she uh, takes, notice what she says. She, she um, encourages him again in not only his appearance, but who he is. And she says that he is like an apple tree among the others in the tree. So just like he said, she was a lily among the uh, thorns. She says he is like a great tree, again, which is bringing substance to her and substance to her. And then she says, with great shade and delight. Now, where did she come out of? What was in chapter one? She was out in the field. She was getting the sun. She was baked by the world. And now she finds cover under her husband. Now, the world doesn't like what I just said. Because they don't think, they, I mean, we live in the time of, I am woman, hear me roar. You don't need a man. You can do it all for yourself, right? I mean, this is what the world talks about. She goes, no, I find uh, safety and security underneath him. The other thing is, I was thinking about this verse. I was, I was on chapter 2 all day today. I had finished chapter 1 uh, yesterday, but I was thinking about this all day. But then I thought to myself, again, back to her working in the field, another thing that is not popular, she says, now I can take security knowing that my husband is the worker and I don't have to go out and work anymore. I can be a stay-at-home mom. Now, if you listen to the political rhetoric, you're a terrorist by thinking that. You're somehow part of the socialist Nazi party by thinking, how dare you not empower women? And she says, no, I, I take great delight in his shade. 
notice great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And then verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was left. Now, how many of you have heard that, right? And you're like, yes, and you have it on a bumper sticker or a sign. It, too, is bad translation. So I'm going to blow everybody's nice wall scripture that you'll have to scrape off. Uh, <laughs> or the bracelet you're wearing, bad, bad uh, Hebrew to English. It really means the house of wine. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks Hebrew to English. He brought me to the house of wine. That's what it means. And his banner over me is love. Again, uh, it is either a place of production for wine, like we would say uh, a winery, or even the storage of the seller of it. <laughs> we, we don't know for sure. Um, um, ask the information desk in heaven. What it does is, it does seem to be a secluded place where Mr. and Mrs. Solomon could be together and to be intimate. That's what it's describing. Again, his banner over me is love. Uh, taken more literally, this is a strange statement. Taken more poetically, the maiden rejoices that her beloved and uh, is openly proclaimed about his love for her. So uh, there are a lot of verses, again, through here, much like Ecclesiastes, where we have no idea. Some guys are uh, uh, thinking this way in their commentary. Some are thinking this way. You are up to your own opinion. Enjoy the house of wine. <laughs> Uh, so the banner over me, uh, uh, he brought me to his banqueting house, a place of seclusion, and his banner over me was love. By the way, that love actually is not Dodd. It is companionship there. Sustain me with the cakes of raisins. Now, anytime cakes, I like cakes. Uh, now, remember, cakes of raisins, you will see through these psalms very... Um, as an aphrodisiac, it was um, a way to stimulate uh, both parties. Uh, he, she says, refresh me with apples. And then she says, for I am what? Lovesick. Now, uh, this is why we tell the young people, where are the young people tonight? Where are they? Some of them in that row over there. Tony, you were not young. Uh, this is why it's not good to get uh, married like one week after you meet your filly. Why? Because there is that love-stricken time, the lovesick. Give it a little bit. I don't know what that time is for you. For my wife and I, it was about six months. Uh, but you, you have to figure out what that time is. But there should be a little bit of, hey, putting the pause on to make sure we do not do things. Uh, something uh, that could uh, that is foolish. So uh, be careful about the lovesick. Uh, good lovesick, okay in the relationship, but be careful about that far as going forth. She says in verse 6, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Verse 6, she is describing him holding her and in the Hebrew intimately touching her. 
So, uh, as we talked about last week, this is a book of description. Uh, and then, verse 7, finally the daughters of Jerusalem pipe in, and they say, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now, there's many thoughts on this. Let me give you a couple of them. Um, now, the first one is that uh, they think that she is having a daydream or a dream. Now, that's very possible. This section and a little bit after this section, it is possible that she is having a daydream uh, of her beloved and a conversation that is going on inside of her head, right? Uh, ladies, if you ask a, a man what's going on in his head, he will, he will, he will say nothing. And that's primarily correct. But a woman has got things going on. That's, I mean, that's what happens. That brain is active all of the time. And so she too is thinking of. So if that's the case, and it is a daydream, she says, don't wake me up. I don't want to be woken. I want to continue. Do not stir or awaken uh, love until it pleases. But it also applies to, as we saw last week, as a great example to the young and anyone else that we should not awaken such passion until it is time. And again, we talked about how uh, sex has a place inside of the firebox, right? Fire is good inside the firebox. If it's outside, it can do damage. And so uh, good to know, do not stir up uh, or awaken love until it pleases. The other thing, the third thing is, don't stir up love until unless you can finish it as well. So make sure there is ample time to finish it. Let's keep going. Is it hot in here? <laughs> I need like double fans right here blowing up. So, remember I said possibly a daydream, so we're going to maybe come in and out of that daydream. She says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, don't you love these images, leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. I've never seen a man skip. I don't believe this for a second. <laughs> Galloping maybe on a horse. And so she hears that. That's why they think that she is back into a daydream or a dream. They think she's back into that. She says, my beloved is like a gazelle and a young stag. Listen to her compliments of her husband. Didn't say he was bright. <laughs> Doesn't say that. Behold, he stands be behind our wall and he is looking through the window. Kind of creepy. Yeah? <laughs> Gazing through the lattice. The idea is he's wherever he was, he was leaping and jumping and finally got to the house and he's looking in to see his beloved. So again, possibly a daydream that she is having. Uh, my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over. So he's, he's describing spring now has come to Israel. And the flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. 
and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. And the fig tree has put forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes. <laughs> Give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Verse 14 says, O my dove, the clefts of the rock, the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So encouraging her to come away with him out into the countryside. And, she sa- and he says to her, for your voice is sweet. Again, the maiden, uh, uh, Solomon's wife, he, he considers how sweet and meaningful the sound of one's voices between the two of them. She imagined her beloved longing to hear her voice and remembering how sweet the sound of it is. Reading from a commentary, it's a, uh, this is very old actually. It says, The human voice has the amazing ability to communicate and to connect. The voice can invite or discourage without even having a uh, uh, verbal um, explicit nature behind it, even having uh, or even conscience of what the other person is saying, we use our voices to repel or to attract, to encourage or to undermine. He says, like animals with smell, so humans with voices. And so, What she hears is, let's try to be delicate, she hears him say, hey, honey, let's get out of here. Let's go into the countryside. Now, verse 20, or 20, that would be a different uh, book altogether. Uh, Verse 15, now the, um, we are, Not real sure who is speaking at this moment. There are three possibles. There are uh, Solomon's, Solomon, Solomon's wife, or possibly, well, there's four, the daughters of Jerusalem, or uh, the Shulamites' brothers. Who's confused? Thanks, Solomon. I thought you were the wisest guy, not the wise guy. Now, I have these uh, uh, underlined, and these are great verses to have underlined. It really doesn't matter who is saying it. It is the wisdom behind the verse. Amen? So we, let's not get bogged down in who said it. It says, catch us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. So clearly, whoever is talking is speaking poetically, but using the little foxes as emblems or an illustration of that which would damage the love relationship that they share with each other, the beloved or the Shulamite. The idea is that their relationship is like a fruitful vineyard and the little foxes will damage the vineyard unless they are stopped. Uh, stopped or caught. Now, um, I've written down a few uh, ideas of what those little foxes might be. So if you're taking note, these might be some of the little foxes that might trouble couples 
or cause problems, mistrust and jealousy over previous relationships. Uh, that, that is very uh, possible. Um, and in our modern Facebook, Twitter, Instagram day, you can now contact people from your past that you couldn't do years ago. It was really hard to do that, and now you were able to do that. So got to be careful about the little foxes, about jealousy over previous relationships. How about selfishness and pride that refuses to uh, acknowledge wrongs, um, as well as unforgiving uh, attitudes? And then this one for a little bit I want to focus in on, which is our modern day, a lot of our modern day. Even though there was, a, uh, there was some of this in the past, it is nothing like it is today. For our modern day, it is pornography, both men and women. When a man has a pornography problem, um, be it ongoing or in the past, and, and by the way, let me pause a second by saying this is also a female issue now today. The number one uh, uh, user of pornography, uh, the new user, is women. And this is growing, and this is becoming just as much as a problem as it used to be and still is with men. So we immediately go to the men, which is true, and we're going to talk about that, but there is also a problem now today with women. Now, when a man has a pornography problem, be it, again, ongoing or in the past, they need to make sure that they are wanting to get help through online sources or through books. And by the way, we have some of them tonight out in the bookstore or on a podcast. Why? Because the mind becomes damaged by porn use. Like a drug addict, the mind can get damaged. Um, I was reading uh, the beginning of this book last week uh, and going into the actual um, psychological uh, effects that it does inside of the brain uh, and, the, and how it chemically changes the brain. By the way, uh, let me just come off uh, quickly a topic. Um, there was a Berkeley professor who did a study of homosexuals, and he did a chemical, or not a chemical, uh, a brain wave study, and he, re and it, he came to the conclusion that the longer you stayed in the homosexual lifestyle, the more your brain got rewired to think that way. He published it. It came out into the San Francisco Chronicle and was immediately removed the next day because we couldn't have that in San Francisco. So it's the same thing. Um, the brain gets rewired. Again, when pornography is discovered by the spouse, great rage and betrayal often is the response. And like here in the verse, can ruin or spoil the vines uh, that is portrayed in these pages. It is, uh, it, it is gone, and it's gone for a while. And it takes time and healing which can sometimes take years. But be cautious of the enemy who will want to come in to destroy the mind of the spouse. They too will also need counseling and need help as well. And there are books for that. It is very hard to live in the age in which we live in. 
an age which is surrounded by much sin. It's surrounded in such a way that it is, it's accessible with the swipe of the mobile device or the click of a mouse. But God is a great healer and can do things if we would let him. I was talking to my brother about this uh, earlier, and um, not to go into detail, but in, if you wanted pornography, say, 30 years ago, you had to travel outside of your house, go to the liquor store or gas station, receive a, you know, a magazine, a paper product, and bring it back to your house. That te- took all of that process to happen. But today, that's no longer the case. And now it is so widely available. I, I, I didn't even know this, and I just read this because of Elon Musk taking Twitter over. Uh, and we have a little bit more freedom now. I'm pretty excited about that. But I didn't even know there was porn on Twitter, and he's doing all he can to fight that. So you might be on a social media platform and not even know that that's there. You have to be careful about that. You have to be mindful of that. Again, it's a hard age. So I have put links into the description of this message. It's in the description in uh, the video, um, it has ta- it has helps from Pure Life Ministries, which is a ministry in Kentucky. There are books that are in there, male and female. There are also podcasts in there. They all have direct links as well as some books and some of them that we have in stock. So um, please take note of the she says or he says, whoever says, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Again, for our vines have, she notes, or he notes, tender grapes. And then in verse 16, again, another underlinable verse. I know what you're thinking. Is this going to be a wrong translation too? I got to get rid of my bracelet. My beloved is mine and I am his. And he feeds his flocks among the lilies. No, it's an actual good translation. So you can keep your necklace. Again, the maiden concludes in this dreamy section, possibly confident in the bonds that join her and her beloved. He belongs to her and she belongs to him. In this sense, they are one, joined together with the mutual bond of affection and not one partner clinging to another of an, a reluctant partner. Now, if you are married, you, uh, it is very possible that you have a ring. This ring is a symbol wherever you go in the world that you are tied to somebody else. Everybody see that? Now, I have very few problems. I think my problem list is growing um, smaller. No, it's not. I do have this, and I do not mean to offend. I have a problem with husbands not wearing their ring. Now, you might have a job. I I am an electrician by trade, right? I even wear it. I figure, well, my finger will come off (laughs) or something. Uh, And you might be a mechanic or whatever, and they make silicon ones now, which are pretty amazing, right? They... They have different rings, and I don't always think about it. Sometimes if I am doing something like at camp and I know that it's muddy or whatever, I'll take it off, 
put it in my console, my car. I know it's there. We do the work. But when I get in the car and go home, what do I put back on? I put on the symbol that my beloved is mine and I am his. Because this is the symbol that we have in our culture. And it's been around for a very long time. What it says is that I am tied to somebody else. Get away. That's what it should mean. It doesn't often mean that in our culture or around the world. And it's funny, different cultures have it on different fingers, right? In different cultures, diamonds are really important. Ladies, put that aside. The idea is that the ring signifies that you are tied to someone else, verse 16, that my beloved is mine and I am his. Lastly, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be <laughs> like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. No idea what that means. Read ahead. She continues next week. This woman has a lot of dreams. Uh, she will be dreaming again next week. Then, aren't you excited? We get to go to the wedding. Finally get to see the wedding. Read ahead uh, chapters 3 and 4 for next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, Lord, and for the Song of Solomon, and for the Shulamite and, and King Solomon, Lord, the we pray for this topic, Lord, that isn't often taught in the church. And Father, we have to be mindful of, of, Lord, not only culture that we live in, but Father, that the Bible would would be ahead of the culture, not the culture dictating what we think inside of the church, as we've seen with church history. And so, Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for the verses, Lord. We pray for anybody, Lord, who has little fox problems and for healing upon their hearts and upon their minds. And Lord, that may, may not uh, happen overnight. It may take some time. And so, Lord, as we see the back and forth of the in terms of endearment between husband and wife, that, Father, we would learn from that. Even if that hasn't happened in our relationship in a while. So, Lord, let us be emboldened by your word and the words on the page. And, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of the wrong speech and the wrong heart. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work inside of these relationships so that you would be that third part of the cord that binds the two hearts together. So forgive us, Lord. Renew our hearts. Strengthen us and let us go forward and let us not allow the enemy to win. Lord, let us be resolved in your word. And Lord, thank you for our time. And now that you would be blessed by a time of worship. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people.